Amen. Good morning. It's kind of cool to see you guys all in one place at one time. I'd say give hugs and high fives, but that's just like a taboo thing right now, right? So um, just air fives to everybody. Uh, fist bumps, air fist bump from afar. Well, welcome, you guys. Welcome to Anthem Coeur d'Alene. If you're new with us this morning, my name's Chris, one of the pastors on staff here, and we're just blessed that you guys are here this morning and excited to dive into God's Word together. Uh, we've been through this, going through the study through the book of Matthew, and this morning we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 7, nearing the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And before I get started this morning, I wanted to kind of uh, do something fun for a second, and I know some of you guys have seen these photos already, but in the last few years, there's been some really big controversies that have gone on online regarding uh, these like different pictures that you see and the way certain people see them versus other people see them. It's created all this controversy. And the first one was that dress. Did any of you guys ever see that dress? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have them put it up on the slides. You guys remember this? No? You guys, okay. For those of you who haven't, who sees white and gold, or who saw white and gold when they saw that dress? 10% of you, maybe, okay, 5%. Who saw blue and black? Uh, when you first saw it, you actually saw blue and black. Okay, awesome. Some people see white and gold when they saw that picture. Some people would see blue and black. But here's the deal, is that some people, again, they see the, the, the black and the blue. Some people saw white and gold, and it's proof that our eyes sometimes can deceive us. Uh, I want to put up another one, a picture of a dresser that I have. Okay. Now, when you see this picture, who sees pink and white? Okay. Does anybody see blue and gray? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Don't feel bad. Don't feel... Did anybody think they were seeing the words written backwards on the screen during worship this morning? You ri- they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> it, was part of the, it was part of the sermon illustration, right? Yeah, there we go. Okay. Okay, I want to put up one more picture. This pair of Vans shoes. Who sees teal and gray? And who sees pink and white? Okay, those are actually pink and white shoes. It's crazy. So anyway, uh, I just thought these were kind of crazy. There's this one other picture that I didn't bring, but it's actually this picture of these strawberries sitting on this plate. And they removed all the red from the strawberries. From the, pic, from the color, so it was all teal. But your eyes tell you that strawberry, or your mind tells you that strawberries are red, and so you see red in the strawberries, but there's actually no red in the picture. They had removed it from it. It's the, it's the craziest thing. Or, I don't know if you guys have ever heard the, the, this audio clip online that says Yanni, Yanni, or Laurel. Have you guys seen that? And like, depending on your ears and your hearing, some people he'll hear Laurel, 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 and some people hear Yanni, Yanni, Yanni. You guys have seen this? Who is Yanni? And who is Laurel? I did it twice, once on a really good sound system with low bass, and all I heard was Laurel, 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 and then I did it in my headphones, and all I heard was Yanny, Yanny, Yanny. It was the craziest thing. So, all that to say, our eyes can deceive us, right? We know that's the case. Um, Our ears can deceive us, and even our taste buds can deceive us. There was this case study that was done several years ago where they got all these, actually, there were students that were in school study, studying uh, wine, above all things. And they put these two glasses of wine in front of all of these students. 
And they were both white wine, but one of the glasses, they put two drops of red food coloring in it. And all of these students who drank the, the two same glasses of white wine um, described the white wine as a red. And so they, they got done with this whole study, and, and uh, again, the, these experts had described the, the, the red food coloring white wine version as a red wine. And they were deceived by their eyes, and then also deceived by their taste buds, because their, their eyes and then their mind told them that it was a red wine, and then they're deceived by their taste buds. But the crazy part is this, is that they did the same test again with these same people under an MRI. And they were measuring what their brain was doing during the taste test while they did this uh, with some other folks. And what they found was that the, the brain basically preempted their taste buds. So they, they were actually deceived by their brain. And so what, what, what they expected to taste is actually what they tasted. And what they were expecting to taste, their brain actually began to function in such a way that it began telling them that, that, that what they thought they were drinking was actually what they were drinking. It's crazy. All that to say, we, we are a people that are easily deceived. But it's not just our eyes, right? It, it, it's our ears. Um, it's our taste buds. Uh, and then I'll go a little deeper to say it's even our heart. It's easy for our hearts to become deceived. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Can anybody in here relate to that? Like your heart being deceived? Have you ever been deceived by your heart before? I have. Um, I've been deceived by my heart many times. And the thing is that uh, we as humans are, are pretty easily deceived. There, there have been a number of studies done on, on lying and, and the deception that happens when we're lied to. And one woman named Pamela Meyer wrote a book called Lie Spotting, and she said this, in all the aggregated studies about how well we detect lies versus truth, we've never fared better than 50 to 57% accuracy. The largest review encompassing results from 206 academic studies involved 24,000 individual judgments of lies and truths, but found our mean performance to be 54%. We're about as good as flipping a coin. 50-50 chance. So when we're actively trying to detect a lie, you might as well just flip a, flip a coin because you have as good a chance flipping a coin as you do trying to decipher what's a lie and what's truth. Um, because that's about how good we, the typical human is at deciphering a lie. Now, when you're not trying to, to, when you're not trying to detect deception intentionally, she said this, Separate studies led by deception researchers found that the overwhelming majority, 75 to 82% of lies, went undetected. So when people weren't trying to actively detect lies, 75 to 80% of all lies went undetected. We are not very good at rooting out deception as human beings. It's just not the way that we're typically wired. There's a lot of science behind it, and some people think it has to do maybe with the fact that we need to make quick decisions early on, and I'm not completely sure. But nonetheless, I think it's fair to say that we're not very good at this, which is why it's so important that Jesus says what he does here in Matthew. If you grab your Bibles while you're flipping to Matthew chapter 7, I'll show this. We've been in this study through the book of Matthew, um, and specifically in chapters 5 through 7, we've been talking about Jesus's 
Sermon on the Mount. And he's giving sort of this inaugural address on what it means to be a citizen of heaven. And at this point, Jesus is bringing the Sermon on the Mount to an end. He's starting to close it out. In the next couple weeks, we'll finish it. And now I I want you also to remember some of the things that Jesus has been saying prior to what he's going to say this morning. Um, What has Jesus' major concern been up till this point? He continues to, to rail on it throughout his sermon. He's talked a ton about hypocrisy, specifically with regards to the religious elite who would say one thing and then they'd go and do another. And so coming out of the last couple of weeks where he's taught his disciples to be careful of allowing money and things to become their gods because money and things will one day fade away. And then he tells them to not be anxious because he's a good father and he'll provide for them what he knows that they need. And then he told them to look at their heart before they go and judge other people to do some introspection and judge themselves first. So in light of what Jesus says here about not judging others unless you've looked at your own heart and done the hard work of making sure you don't have a log in your own eye, then he's going to go into this section where where he honestly is going to ask us to do some inspection of others, which is really interesting because he goes from saying, you know, basically don't judge, and now he's sort of giving us clearance to judge fruit and be able to tell, discern, like if somebody is a false prophet or teacher. And remember what we said a couple weeks ago, that Jesus wasn't telling them to not judge at all or, or, or to not use discernment, but he was encouraging them to look at their, their own heart first before they make a judgment against somebody else. So all along, Jesus has been teaching them what, what, is the, what are the characteristics of a citizen of heaven. And in order to make his points, he's often used... This, this, this term, the hypocrite, um, the, the actor or the fake, in order to contrast for them what not to be like. Don't be like the hypocrites, the actors, the, the people that are fake. But he jumps down into chapter 7 here in verse 15, and he's teaching them to be aware, to discern, and to judge what is real and what's not. And he says this, 7.15. Are you guys there? You have it opened up? Is it backwards on the screen? It actually is. And I'm messing with you guys this morning. Uh, Matthew 7:15. He says this, "Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their, fa- by their fruits, by their faults. Nice. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Now just a quick caveat, this one's a little, this sort of free. I planted my first tree this year. Um, I bought it in May for my wife for Mother's Day. I planted it in our backyard about a month ago. And it, when I planted it, I've been waiting to see if the thing actually took. Have you guys ever dealt with this before? Where you're like, so how do you know if it actually takes? It produces life, right? It's green, like it actually buds, it looks well. Um, my trees started drooping, and the leaves started dying, and there, there's all these little specks of brown on the leaves and whatnot, and every day I'm out there, I'm like, what is going on? Like, something is wrong in the root of that tree. And so Jesus is saying, so every healthy tree bears good fruit. If it's good in the root, it's good what comes out of it. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit, and I have a diseased tree, A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit 
is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. I'm sorry that we get to deal with this awesome message this morning. Will you guys pray with me and let's get going. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for each individual that's here, each soul that's here, Lord, because I believe that it's not coincidence that they're here this morning. I pray, uh, Lord, in your name, by your power, that you'd take your word and you'd implant it into our hearts. Jesus, I pray for those who come here this morning, maybe with arms crossed and uh, just mind shut off and just feeling um, like there's something blocking them from being able to see you clearly. And I pray this morning, Jesus, that you soften their hearts. I pray for each of us, God, that this morning be a life-giving morning. We want to be people who are these good trees that bear good fruit. And so we start with you this morning, Jesus, and we ask that you do a work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus starts this passage off with one word. What's that word, that B word? Verse 15, what's it say? Beware. This first word is so important in reading this text. Um, Its original word in the Greek meant to take care of or to pay attention or derive beware. And so here, here's why this is so important, because most of the time we actually walk around as fairly unaware people. We're, we're just constantly taking in information all the time, and we're not even evaluating the information we're taking in. We're taking it in. We're not filtering it. We're, we're not even judging it to see, is this good? Is this helpful? Is this beneficial? Or is this detrimental? Is this harmful? Is it sinful? Are these lies that I'm taking? We're not even paying attention. And when we don't pay attention, like they found in the study, we're 75 to 80% likely to not understand that it's deception, that it's lies, that it's not true. Paul was the first church-planting missionary that we read about in the book of Acts. He wrote a number of the books in the New Testament, and he's traveling around planting churches. He starts in Macedonia, he goes up to Philippi, he plants a church there, and then he goes down to Thessalonica, and then he goes to a place called Berea. And in Berea, he has this really unique experience with the Bereans in Acts 17.11. It says this, it says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Here's why the Bereans were noble. Um, the, The Spirit of God written through Luke says that these guys were more noble because they heard the gospel that Paul preached that was given to him by Jesus himself, and they said, sounds good, let me make sure it's good. It wasn't just take what they, what they heard. It was, sounds like it could be legit. Let's go see. Let's test it. Let's make sure. And so they go back to the Hebrew scriptures, or, or what we would call the, the Old Testament, and they ask themselves, is this true? Is this actually accurate? And so every time Paul would preach the gospel, they said, great, hang on a second, let's go make sure. And and then they would study the Hebrew scriptures to make sure that what he was saying actually lined up with what they were reading. And the Spirit of God said that they were more noble because they tested what Paul had to say. And the Spirit of God knows that what Paul has to say is true because it was given to him by Jesus. And yet they were more noble because they actually tested it. They didn't just take it, they tested it. There have been a number of Jewish oral teachings 
that were passed down from generation to generation. We've talked about these somewhat before. Uh, One's called the Talmud and one's called the Mishnah. And so these were, again, passed down generation to generation, these, these Jewish oral traditions. And there's an excerpt from the Mishnah that says this. There are four types among those who sit in the presence of sages. The sponge, the funnel, the strainer, and the sifter. Sponge, funnel, strainer, sifter. The sponge who soaks up to everything. The funnel who takes, in, takes it in at one end and lets it out the other. The strainer who lets out the wine and retains the lees. The sifter who removes the coarse meal and, re- and collects the fine flour. And here's what they're saying. That there are four ways that you can actually take in teaching. That you can listen to it. You can be a sponge and take every single thing in that you hear and just call it gospel truth. Uh, that's just the way it should be. It's fact. Um, everything that you hear is all good. It's all good. It's all good. Or you can be like a funnel where information goes in one side and it goes out the other. And you don't actually receive anything from it. You're, you're not really there. You're not really paying attention. You're just zoom, zoned out and information's coming in and it's going out. Or you can be like the strainer. And it says that the strainer takes the bad and leaves the good. So in our day and age, I think right now, that's pretty accurate. We're filled with bad information constantly. And a lot of times we take the bad and we actually leave the good because we haven't tested it to see what's actually real. Uh, it, this seems to be a popular choice today where you listen to everything and you only receive that which is bad and get rid of that which is good. But the last one is this, it's a sifter. And a sifter sifts out the bad and retains the good. And I think this is what Jesus and Paul in the book of Acts and many others throughout Scripture were actually telling us to do and telling us to be. They're telling us to pay attention to what we're listening to and sift it, to take the good and actually leave the bad. So here's what he tells us to do. Be a sifter. And here's what I would say to you guys this morning. Sift the things that I tell you. Even from this stage, sift the things that I tell you. Don't just take everything in as truth. It's not all truth. You have to sift it. You need to test it with Scripture like they did in the book of Acts and that they were considered more noble. In Matthew 10, 6, it says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep. Listen to this. Sheep get a really bad rap today, don't they, on everything. Like, You're a sheep. Yeah, I actually am. Um, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. What in the world? So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And what Jesus is saying is beware. Jesus is saying pay attention. There are people out there who you're going to, who who are literally going to try and to deceive you. And he's saying be wise as serpents, but be innocent as doves. And here's what Jesus is saying. Basically three things that you can drive from this. He's saying, one, that false prophets and false teachers do exist. They're rampant. Two, that we're extremely susceptible to them. That, that, that we're not good at detecting lies. That we have to pay attention. We have to sift things. And three, that the results of false teaching, even on the early church, were devastating. They were devastating. If you look throughout the, the history of humanity, 
all the tragedies and the travesties that have happened because people have followed deceptive teachers, false prophets, and false teachers. Like, I think about how many thousands of people were deceived and went into the crusades and had all kinds of atrocities. I think about the Holocaust, how many Christians, how many thousands, maybe millions of Christians followed Hitler and were deceived by him and did all kinds of awful things. There are false teachers. We are easily deceived, and so we have to be careful. We have to pay attention. I think about all the people that have been involved in cults over the course of time. In fact, in the last 30 to 40 years, did you know that there's been two and a half million Americans that have been involved in cults? Two and a half million And there's all kinds of crazy stuff that goes on in cults, like all kinds of mass suicides and junk that happens. And there are a lot of false teachers, and we have to be careful. We've got to pay attention. We have to be a people that are more aware. Now, what is a false teacher? What is a false prophet? Um, Jesus refers to false prophet here, but in other parts of the New Testament, you see the reference to false teachers. In Jesus' day, in the history of Judaism, You had God on top, and then you had God's people below, and God ruled over his people. And what happened in the Old Testament was this. Under the Old Covenant is that God would talk to his people through prophets. Uh, They were God's mouthpiece to his people. And the people would interact with God through priests. So the, the people could come to God through priests, but the people were talked to by God through these prophets. And these people, again, they would interact with God through priests, and God would communicate with them through prophets. And so a prophet is somebody who's literally speaking for God. That's it. Somebody who's speaking for God. Now, in our day and age, prophets don't really function quite the same as they did in the Old Testament. When Jesus is saying, beware of false prophets, he's also including, I think, false teachers, And honestly, you need to be aware of pastors. You need to be aware of religious leaders, people that are claiming to speak for God. You need to be careful. They exist. They're out there. Peter talks about them, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Who who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them? bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. There have been so many religious leaders that were all about greed, that were all about financial gain, power, sensuality, sexuality, but they were deceptive. They they were hiding They actually didn't come in that way. You didn't see them like that from the beginning. They came in like people wearing sheep's clothing. They came in amongst the flock looking like sheep, looking like someone who's following Jesus. They sounded good at first. They looked good at first. But inwardly, Jesus says they were ravenous wolves. We get really easily deceived by looks nowadays, by stature, by by charisma. I've seen a number of videos where they're showing how how people that are better looking according to society's standards nowadays are are more likely to get jobs than other people, not because they're actually better at the jobs, but somehow subconsciously the interviewers think that they'll be better because we're an easily deceived people. 
And what Jesus is saying is that the false prophets and the false teachers, they'll look good at the onset. They'll actually look like a sheep. They'll wear a costume. Once again, Jesus is like, but they're hypocrites. They're fake. Just like Jesus talked about before. When Hitler was rising to power, he didn't start by talking about the final solution. Like that, that wasn't the onset. He was talking about the glory of Germany, getting back to, to, to what Germany had lost, getting their power back. He was talking about nationalism. He gathered people around him, talked about the things that they like and the things they wanted to hear. And then they, and then they began to follow him. And then his true colors began to show. And he came in like a wolf in sheep's clothing. But what Jesus says is there will actually be evidence. Look at their fruit. So what is their fruit? It's, it's what their lives produce. We're so quick to follow people nowadays without getting to know them. Their fruit is what they produce. And what do they produce? Character. Teaching. And what they produce actually reveals something. Ultimately, at some point, it'll come out. Things begin to show. The leaves start to turn a little bit brown. The leaves look like they're drooping, and you're like, ah, that does not look like it's supposed to. That thing is not bringing life. And Jesus says you got to be careful. you got to pay attention. And in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has a number of criteria when it comes to fruit, when it comes to their character, when it comes to their teaching. I want to go back through here real quick, and I'm going to blaze through a handful of things that I think questions Jesus asks. Do they realize their own need for grace? That's how Jesus begins the Beatitudes. The grace of God as a gift for those who have nothing to offer. Do they take care of the poor and the marginalized? Do they take care of the powerless? Do they take care of the oppressed? Do they hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are they pure in heart? Do they strive to make peace with everyone? Are they salt that hasn't lost its taste? Are they the light of the world? Jesus gives all these examples in Matthew 5, and then he goes on. Do they revere the full counsel of Scripture? Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, which was the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, the law of Moses, but said, no, I didn't come to abolish it, but to do what? To fulfill it. Jesus had this really high view of the Scriptures. Do these people that you're listening to, that you're allowing into your mind, that you're giving residence in your heart, do they revere the full counsel of Scripture or do they take bits and pieces out of Scripture to suit their own interests? There's a movement of people nowadays, if you haven't read about this, go do some reading, trying to oust the Old Testament altogether. Right now, like they, they want to throw it out. This was Jesus' Bible, people, <laughs> like, Jesus revered the scripture. Do, do they consult the whole counsel of scripture or do they not? Do they cultivate anger or store up bitterness or are they quick to forgive? Do they see others as image bearers of God, infinitely valuable and worthy of love? Or do they cultivate lust in their heart and objectify people? Do they keep their word? Do they love their enemies? Are they about building up their own kingdom? Or are they about spreading out their own borders? Or are they about God's kingdom? Are, are they about accomplishing God's will? Do they flaunt their gifts and their talents and do goods in front of others so that they can get glorified and get applause from other people? Or do they humbly do what's right, always giving God the glory? Are they judgmental? 
Or do they see their own sin first and view their own sin as worse? This is what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. When you're listening to people nowadays, and in the world of podcasts and news and social media, when you can't really see a person's life, you only hear what they have to say. That's all you know of them. And you have to be careful. Do these men and women live according to the way of Jesus? Or do they just say things that sound good? Or do they just look good at the onset, but underneath they're deceptive? We have to be careful because we're an easily deceived people. There's this pastor, blogger, online dude that I like to read a lot. His name's Tim Challies. And I came across a blog of his and he boiled down the New Testament and what the New Testament had to say about false prophets. And I loved how he broke this down, but he put them into seven categories, these seven sort of false prophets to look out for. And here are the seven categories of false teachers and prophets that the scripture talks about. One, the heretic. So if you go to Jude 1, I'm going to bounce through a lot of scripture here. Is that okay? Um, Jude 1, 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. To contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What, what Jesus delivered for us was once and for all. In Galatians 1, 8 and 9, Paul says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Jesus came and he gave us the gospel. It's his story. And if someone presents something that is contrary to that, even if they say it came from an angel, let's say, you need to be careful because that's not the gospel. It comes from Christ and Christ alone. Uh, I don't know if you guys know much about Mormonism. I don't know a ton, but this guy named Joseph Smith, you know, he receives, he has this encounter with an angel and he receives these golden tablets that contradict much of the word of God that we have. And Paul says, even if an angel comes to you, don't listen. Stick with the gospel that you know, the one that was given to you by Jesus himself. The second one is this, the swindler. So we got the heretic, the swindler. 1 Timothy 6, 3-5 says this, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, He's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. How many different people in the ministry have been exposed and found out that they were just greedy in your lifetime? I've seen a lot. How many of you seen where they were just out for themselves? They didn't care about the gospel. They didn't care about people. They wanted wealth. They were stacking up their own kingdom. The third one is the, the mathematician. Revelation 22, 18 through 19 says this, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. If you add to or you subtract from the Bible, you're a false teacher. Jehovah's Witnesses have 
added to the Bible and put their own book on par with Scripture and called it authoritative. Muslims, in the same way, have done the same thing with the Quran, like thinking it's just as authoritative. And what you find is there's contradictions between the two books, the two versions that each of these religions uphold. And what John says in Revelation is that you can't add to this. Sure, you can write things about it. We have tons of Christian books and stuff, commentaries and junk in our society, but some are good. But we don't place them on the same level as the authority of Scripture. We don't look at them as the same thing as the Word of God. We don't use those things to test the things that we hear. Scripture is divine, and it's an authoritative account of God's revelation for us. Nothing's equal to it. Fourth is this, the abuser. Jude 1.4 says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. These people make it about sexuality. They teach things that will help with their status so that they can abuse the people who are listening to them. They can manipulate them. The fifth is this, the divider. Jude 1, 18, 19 says this, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. There's so many people within the body of Christ that are more quick to divide than reconcile. It frustrates the heck out of me, actually. I constantly see this in the church, where it's just like, we're so fast to be like, I'm not hanging out with you anymore, I'm done. Okay. Um, I don't have to like you, I just have to love you, right? So I don't have to hang out with you, but I still love you. We're not quick to forgive. We're not quick to reconcile as Jesus would have us. Six, the pleaser. Second Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Listen to that warning. If that's not prevalent in our society today, I really don't know what is. There's so many people out there preaching what they think people want to hear for a number of different reasons. But there's so much false teaching out there that it's not in accord with Scripture, but it's what people want to hear because it's what they feel and what they like and what they enjoy, but not always what Scripture says. And we have to be really careful because Jesus' way is the way of life. His way is the way of freedom, you guys. And Satan's way is the way of death and destruction. He wants to take you out at the knees. His way is the way of slavery. It's opposite of what Jesus died for. Jesus wants to set you free. So don't accumulate for yourself people that say exactly what you want to hear. Don't surround yourself with yes people. It's good to feel conviction in your life. It's good to be called out sometimes because we, we all in some way are engaged in things that we shouldn't be at times, and we need people to stand with us and be like, can I challenge what you just said or what you just did? Like, I love you, and I want to share the truth in love. Because people that love us don't want us to be bound by things. They want us to be set free. The seventh is this, the spectator, or the speculator, sorry. Hebrews 13, 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, 
not by foods which have, been, which have not benefited those devoted to them. 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. There, there are many people that actually leave Scripture behind and want to just come up with things that are new. A new ideology. They, they want to be seen as someone who has something clever to say and something new that nobody else has heard, something brand new. And we have to be really careful with speculation, especially when it's not in accord with Scripture. There, there are many false teachers. Like, they are around. They are rampant today. You'll find them maybe even in our own midst, if I'm going to be brutally honest. Who knows? or part of a community of faith somewhere else. You're gonna find them. But my warning to you guys this morning, as Jesus would, is beware. His warning is to be careful. And to be careful who you lend your ear to because you're easily deceived. And the results of this have been devastating on humanity for centuries before us. And now here's the really good news, is that there are a lot of different false teachers that we talked about um, in different ways that can be false. But the good news is this. You don't need to worry about all the different false teaching if you fix your eyes on Jesus and focus on his teachings. Like, we don't have to worry about any of that stuff if we uphold this thing as the authoritative word of God. If we sift with this baby right here. Like, somebody tells you something? Sounds pretty good. I'm gonna go to the word. What does it say? Do your work. Mind the scriptures. Figure out where God is leading and what he's saying. Test it. I think the, the Secret Service um, is kind of a good example of this. I don't know if you know this, but the Secret Service is part of the Treasury Department, and they don't just guard the president, but they also track down counterfeiters. And so some of you have heard this before, but that's half of the Secret Service's job. They, they work with money and crimes within counterfeiting. And so what they do is that as they're training new agents to spot counterfeit bills, they only train them with the real thing. They don't throw them a bunch of fake ones, like get to know the fake, get to know the fake. Because what happens with the fake? It always changes. The fake hundred today is not the same as the fake hundred in 1985 and wasn't the same as the fake hundred in 1960. They change. The real thing doesn't. You study the real thing. In the same way, again, with us, you get to know Jesus, and you find Jesus, and through his fruit, we see that he's the prophet. He's the authoritative scripture. When you see his character, when you see his life, his, his way is the narrow way, as we talked about last week. There's a wide way that many can go through, but there's a narrow way that few will find, and his way is the narrow way. It's the way of love, and his character was flawless. His character, he was full of compassion and kindness and humility and grace and purity and generosity, and that's what Jesus was like. He was the ultimate example that we need to hold everything up to. He's perfect. I'm not perfect. Are you perfect? Anybody here perfect this morning? Obviously not, because you saw different pictures when I put those up, right? You all saw different colors. But there's a difference between falling, between messing up, repenting, and seeking to live a life that's in accordance with walking in Jesus' footsteps versus living a life of deception. 
And we have to be careful. And my encouragement to you is to get to know Jesus and through him view the entirety of the scriptures through the lens of Christ. Don't just take out bits and pieces because Jesus was the ultimate example. And I imagine Jesus as he's teaching the people knowing that this would be in scripture, knowing that he was going to leave, I imagine him realizing that there's going to be these false prophets who are going to seek to lead people astray. The ones he died for, that he bled for, the ones he had so much compassion and grace for. Realizing that they were going to be led astray, that his children would be living in slavery, that his children would be living in deception, that his children would ultimately be living in destruction. And I have to think that that just breaks the heart of God. And so he says careful. Look out. Beware. The people that you give your ear to will impact your life and your heart. They will. And we have to be careful. I want to invite the the worship team to come up here. And I want us to take a moment um, as we spend some time worshiping. And I want us to do some evaluation of sorts in our own hearts. I don't know about you, but I wonder for you how you typically go into a movie. Do you have your filter up? You put on that podcast, you watch the news, you scroll through social media. Do you have a filter that you put up? And what's the filter that you're using? What is it? Is it a cheap filter? that the world has given you and told you to try to decipher truth yourself because statistics show that that doesn't work out very well. But we have one filter that we know is flawless. It's Christ, and we have his word. Do you uphold his word as the filter? When you enter into this culture, man, do you, honestly, do you even evaluate week in and week out what I say when I'm up here? In all honesty, do you test it? Do you go home and be like, oh, I heard him say this. Eh, I'm going to just mine the scriptures and try to figure this out. Or do you just take it as truth? Because we have to be careful with our hearts. And this is why Jesus commands us, beware, there will be false prophets. They will come to you like wolves in sheep's clothing but you will recognize them by their fruit. So test their fruit. Would you guys stand with me? As we take an opportunity to worship this morning, the great reminder for me, and I don't know where you're at with regards to singing and music and worship, but there's a recentering of my heart that is done in the midst of singing, proclaiming like God's mercies and his grace and his love and his character. There's something, there's a sifting that takes place even in that is the world tells you a bunch of other things and we sing songs that tell us something different about the God we serve. This morning as we take an opportunity to worship, encourage you, challenge you, bear your heart before God. Are there things in your life right now that you're lending an ear to that are actually damaging your heart because you haven't sifted them through the proper filter?
And it's interesting to me that, like, you get into the end of days discussions and revelation, and you hear about this massive falling away, and Christians who would turn their back on the Lord, and you're like, how? There's no way. I'd, I'd never turn my back on the Lord. There's times of testing that will come. And in the midst of those times in your life, you will have to hold on to something a whole lot stronger than your career and your money and your relationships and your possessions. They just will not sustain you through those seasons. But the word of God will. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. Because I realize, God, it has this divine ability to search out my heart. has this divine ability to like permeate through my soul, my heart, my mind, my eyes, my hands, my feet, my life. And I pray for us this morning, God, is um, maybe there's some in this room that they're sort of upholding many gods in their life, and Jesus is one of them, and the Bible's part of it, but it's not all of it. And I pray this morning, God, that... Um, you would encourage those who think that this morning, that there's actually only one way, and your word says that you're the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father, to God, except through Jesus, the Jesus we read of in your holy scriptures. And so I pray for those that don't know you, that feel lost this morning. I pray for them, Jesus, that you'd reach your hand out and you'd find them this morning, that they feel known and seen and loved and like your grace would abound, your mercy would abound in them this morning, God, that even as they're in their mind replaying all the stuff they've done in the last week and the last month and, and trying to convince themselves that they're just too far off for God to find them, that somehow in this place this morning, no matter how far they've ran and how far apart from you they feel, you found them, Jesus, and I pray in your name that they, Lord, would latch on to you this morning. They'd find you as truth, as the only center, God, the, the only stable thing, the only hard and true foundation that we can establish our lives on. And Lord, I pray for your church this morning because, um, gosh, we're just hearing so many different voices today, God, and it breaks my heart sometimes thinking that we uphold the voices we hear as truth more than we uphold the word you've given us. And I pray that you'd light a fire within your church to bury themselves in your word, to spend time with you, God, to use you as the filter when we try to figure out what's real and what's not. And I pray, Jesus, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, to see the deception, to discern what's true and what's not. Lord, you'd give us the ability to see the brown starting to form on the leaves of the trees, to know that what it is that was telling us what they were is actually rotten at the core. And we want to be attached to something that brings life. Jesus, bless your church this morning and be with her. I pray your face would shine upon her and give her peace in your name. Amen.